Hello and welcome to the ABC Music Talk podcast, the show for anyone interested in the music industry. This week, my guests will walk us through their journey that saw them produce one of the most succinct Bibles of how to raise money for music projects ever written. We will also hear about their passion for helping others in general through various means, including coaching. But now it's that time again for me to remind you to go road to your videos. Rota is for artists, managers, labels, or anyone in the music industry who needs to create video content for promotion or monetization. Rota makes it fast, easy, and inexpensive to do all of that in one place. Head to www.abcmusic.co and click the Rota logo on the homepage to access a 10% off discount for the service. And a special note this week, as well as recently launching their subscription service, which includes unlimited short form video downloads for things like socials and Spotify Canvas, they've also launched Smart Tracks, making it easy to create engaging videos based solely on album artwork. So head to the website to find out more. So welcome to the show, Remy Harris. It's great to see you again. Thanks, Alex. It's lovely to be here on your on your podcast. It's, it's very it's surreal. Been, it's, <laughs> it's, it's been a while, but you have been a constant in my career. And I, and I know you're going to love me saying this, but you are one of the people that I've known for the longest in the music industry. <laughs> How does that make you feel? It makes me feel pretty pretty old <laughs> pretty, pretty old pretty well old. you know you, ma- you made a comment about my gray hair earlier so uh, that's just getting you back for that, so thanks for that <laughs> uh so we probably will uh, exchange stories as we go through this you know our paths have crossed uh, you know a few times and, yeah. you know you know a bunch of the same people um and with all, all of my guests they uh, they will have to tell me how they got into this uh, this crazy business that is called the music industry um because uh, a large part of my audience are people that are, are just on that journey themselves and one of the one of the constants from all of the interviews is there is no you know sort of one path there's no one way that people do this and uh, and people come into it in in lots of different ways so without further ado let's hear all about yours where did it all begin for you so i would say i wasn't a person who was into music any more than the normal teenager so i was into i was an indie kid when i was about 14 i used to go to go clubbing i used to go to garage raves jungle raves and i was into music as a as a punter I suppose um but I never really thought of working in the music industry until um I was in my first one of my first um jobs after uni I'd done about 10 or 15 jobs before that my parents sent me to work early so I had this job working uh, one of my first jobs after leaving university in a business that was run by the people that run hard rock cafe and MTV, oh, right. wow. which was called Sound Republic. And it was a, a sort of hard rock cafe for the MTV generation. Got it. So that was my first job that had anything to do with music. Uh, they used to film the Pepsi chart show there. Yeah. They used to film Total Request Live there. Um, met Boyzone, got to, got to meet Will Smith. Oh, wow. Um, oh, wow. So that was, oh, that no, was my... That second, one, that second one's very cool. But yeah, was, the, the first uh, one, yeah. It was interesting. It was interesting. And um, and so that was my first job that had anything to do with music, but really I had no music degree. I came into the industry probably just as those music degrees that started in the 90s were starting to get their first graduates out into the 
industry. So I, I never thought of doing that. My brother was a musically talented person and still is, and he's a professional musician. And so I concentrated on the academic side and, you know, never thought that I would end up in music. Um, yeah. Is he an artist in his own right or is, is he a session Yeah, musician? he's, no, he's, he's a session musician, producer. Um, he's, yeah, produced some hits. He's a songwriter. He's been in West End musicals. He's toured with all sorts of people, Vanessa May, Ricky Martin. So he's he's uh, the, the complete musician, you could say. Um, and right. I, had, I had nothing to do with that. So no, 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 no sibling rivalry to talk of there. <laughs> well, I, I, I just swerved the music. I wasn't as good at it, him, good at it as him, um, and so I, I swerved the music because my brother was great at music, and went totally into a different area, and then came back to music in the end. Um, yeah, fair enough. You know, but the 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 other answer to how did I get into the music industry that I always like to tell people is nepotism beautiful because that is a a really strong feature of the music industry uh, for better or worse yeah we we like to work with people that we know and like right that's just that's just how it's always gone and uh, I had a family member my uncle Keith who's a manager um, a bit of a, a legend in the game of music management and so because of him I was aware that the music industry was a thing um even though I wasn't a musician or doing anything musical. And that's how I came to be uh, told about the job opening at AIM, which was my first serious job in the music industry, really, and the thing that I'm probably best known for. Yeah, and uh, so so AIM these days, of course, is a, you know, a, a massive voice on the world stage. Uh, you know, really, I think, you know, that's where you and I met. I, I wasn't yep. actually working directly for AIM, but I was, I was involved in... Um, you know, a part of the, the development that has sort of become kind of, I guess, like Merlin, right? It was sort of yep. precursor about the work that we were doing there, yep. Do, doing deals with DSPs and, and offering those deals out as a sort of collectively negotiated, you know, template for, for the members to, to sign up to. That's so it was it. a slightly different format, but, but essentially it was the same thing. And, it, and I think embodies quite, it's quite a good example of the type of work that AIM has done over the years, whereby they've just used that collective power of, of the various you know, members that make up that in- independent music community, whether they're artists or companies, and you know pulls them together and uh, and creates a, a larger voice. Um, so it was it was amazing work what what yourself and Alison were you know doing back then. Um, who, who else was uh, who else was aiming there? Uh, so there were four of us. Alison was the first in. She was recruited by the labels to set aim up, and then she brought on board Helen Smith, who now runs Impala. Yeah, who's amazing. a fantastic uh, entertainment shout, shout lawyer. Shout out to Helen Smith. Shout sure. out to Helen Smith in Brussels. Um, and she had been working at the BPI as a lawyer and came on board at AIM and ran our business affairs. And then there was myself um, as the office manager with all my uh, admin experience, as I mentioned, from all my 14 jobs that I'd had previously, working yeah. in a, worked in a bank, worked for British Gas, worked for the uh, restaurant group, um, worked in an IT company, had had tons of different jobs. That, um, that's quite amazing. How old were, how old were was, you when you actually got to I AIM? Was, I was 22 when I got to AIM, but I had oh, wow. had a lot of paid temp work experience. I'd worked yeah. everywhere, you know, just everywhere and anywhere that, that I could get um, so, so did you holiday go, job. did you go to university? Did you, how, did I, you yeah, I went to the University of Leeds and I did... 
a degree in a science degree. Um, so I did a degree in psychology and history and philosophy of science. I think just because it sounded really clever. <laughs> uh, it does. It absolutely does. I have no so, idea what any of those words mean. Yeah, I was kind of I was kind of a, a boffin academic type, which won't surprise people. And <laughs> I I always had jobs from the age of fourteen, you know, ranging from retail to bar work to office work. And it was really invaluable. So I think that's what it possibly endeared me to to Alison. I was a, a multitasking admin whiz and I got the office manager job. And then um, we also had our membership manager, Alex Papasimakopoulou, who went on to found a PR company and be a manager and all sorts of other things as well. And that was our, our dream team of four women that started AIM. Amazing. That's awesome. That's so cool. That's so cool. Yeah. I mean, I, I think I arrived around 2004. So you'd have been four or five years in at that yep. point. Yeah. 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 No, I mean, because, you know, I, I remember walking through, you know, through those doors and, you know, having been made very aware of, of what AIM was because I'd come from the label side. Um, and, you know, it was a, it, it was such a big part of, you know, the day to day at the label, you know, just in terms of sort of the events that you were, that you were running, you know, and obviously the, the advice and support and opportunities as well, you know, I mean, all of that, that early digital stuff that, that I ended up doing, you know, that, that was how I got into it because you guys had already kind of kicked it off and, you know, and started to give some shape to it. So uh, it was, it was a wonderful part of my, my career. And I, and, and, I mean, how many years did you, did you stay there for? Um, I stayed there for 11 years altogether, which is, which a, is, a, which is a long time. time. It's a yeah. long time. And, and, you know, I never intended to stay for that long. Um, yeah. I, yeah, I thought I would be there a couple of years and then move on. And because it was a small organisation as well, I didn't see, you know, where my career would go from there. It wasn't a company where you could move up seemingly. But yeah. what ended up happening is that AIM's impact and scope grew and grew. And every time I thought, oh, I've done everything now, new opportunities came along um, to yeah. get involved in all sorts of things. We did... Um, projects like we obviously were trying to convert the whole of the independent sector into a digital industry so that was quite a big job mm -hmm. um we did and um, printed we had a music magazine and an event a music event that we did with the independent newspaper for a bit so i was involved with that like just everything and anything to support the independent sector yeah, and and eventually you became general manager of Watford by that point. You know, not not a huge personnel wise organisation, but certainly impactful. That's interesting, and I think it's quite an important lesson to you know for people listening. You know, that whole experience that you went through, where you, you arrived at the office, and, and before we hit record, you were telling us how there, were, there wasn't even you know pens and paper there. You know, it was no, kind of really we had sort of like, we had phones, but no. No, I remember the phone ringing and going to pick up the phone to take a message and there was no pens and no paper. I was like, oh, I better set up an account with the stationery company then. It was literally, you know, started from Alison's kitchen table, started out of meetings with labels getting together and saying, you know, we, we need to set up our own organisation and we need to yeah. address this digital thing um, back in the back in the late 90s. And um yeah, we just, I mean, you've worked for startups, uh, yeah. you know, in your career and it's really exciting working for a startup, but you do have to put in place those systems and just learn as you go, make it up as you go along. And it's incredibly exciting to be involved in something like that. 
Yeah, absolutely. And and actually that that bit that comes later on where you where you have to really start to think about structure and organization and you know workflows and and whatever else it might be just to make it all function as it grows. I mean, these are these are really great lessons. I think for for I I mean, I, you know, I'm involved with a bunch of companies at the moment and yeah, they're all at different stages. Many of them are startups, you know, quote unquote startups. Uh, some of them of course now are very established businesses, but um, you know, they've all they're all at sort of that different like growing pains part of how to structure their business especially when you get into international markets and and dealing with people in different time zones and uh you know trying to sort of coordinate campaigns for example or something like that it's a it's a, it's a really wonderful part of the music industry because you could, i mean I, I think i think computers in general and the internet in general have allowed people to just to start a company right that you know it was much harder when i when i began certainly to do that and so i think you know I think the takeaway from that is you never know where these things are going to go, right? No, exactly, exactly. And I think the best thing about AIM was being in a role where you did have that responsibility and you were given the opportunity to be in meetings and have a say and go away and and make things happen. Um, And there was no, you know, it was a very, it was a great culture um, at that time and fantastic community to be part of really okay so what happened after that then so i mean that was obviously a big part of your your career and and actually there was mm. there was something that that, that you experienced as you were as you were working through that that has had an impact on on the book that, that we're going to talk about the genesis of it sort of came from that or were you aware of the idea of writing the book at that point you know i wasn't aware when i was at aim that a lot of the knowledge that i was developing and a lot of the skills I was developing would be so useful to me later on in in what's ended up being my my self-employed career um running my own business and yeah I mean one of the things that happened was I mentioned to you day one of aim going in and you know having no, no infrastructure in the office and just starting something from scratch and at that time because I was the office manager um and I'd had a holiday job in a bank I was put in charge of the accounts. Um, so I had to start raising invoices and I was, you know, calling up people at labels that were the accounts person at labels going, how do you do this? And how do you do that? And just learning as I, as I went along and teaching myself and working alongside AIMS auditors and learning that side of the business, partly because of that. And partly because of me starting to make contact with people at the arts council if anybody phoned up that had any kind of finance question or anything to do with getting funding, they would be put through to me. And I didn't know that much about it. Probably what I knew about it could be written on two sides of A4 at that time. And Fun- I would... Funding people <laughs> need it. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> um, and, 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 and at that time, really, you know, very few, if any, of the AIM labels were accessing any kind of grant funding or anything like that they you know it was only really i suppose as the pressure um in terms of the value that that labels were able to get from recorded music um started to bite that people started to look for other avenues to find um investment to support their artists and at that time i started to at that time, I started to talk to labels um, about how they might 
connect with the Arts Council, how they might apply for funding, all, all sorts of questions people would phone up with as well. You know, my d- distributor's gone bust. Unfortunately, that was a frequent call that we got. Or, or should I spend yeah. this money on marketing? Where do I spend my marketing budget? That kind of thing. So really, AIM was really a lifeline and a helpline, as well as a community that labels could call, artists could call with their questions and problems and we designed all of our training and mentoring schemes and different support programs around the day-to-day needs and responding to and anticipating the day-to-day needs of of the labels so later on when I left AIM I was at UK Music um, and that's another story how I got there but I ended up um, being involved in some campaigning in the last recession, 2008, 10. Ah, so, so many fond memories, eh, of recession <laughs> to recession. Oh, no. uh, the recession. Which was the, the credit crunch recession, it was known as. Yeah, um, no, I remember in, it, yeah. So involved in campaigning around access to finance for, for labels and the wider music industry and getting really involved in that, that campaign, which eventually led to the need to write the book or the drive to write the book about uh, music funding. Again, I think an important takeaway there for, for listeners is you never know where the, these ideas are going to come from. I mean, you know, th- this is you seeing a need almost un- unwittingly and then realising that actually through some of your other sort of practical experiences that actually there is a real gap here that, that you know, this, this needs to be done. Um, and, and as I say, it's, it's a fantastic book. It is, I think accessible to to anyone but but doesn't fall short of its goals of, of informing people on, on how to approach funding which is great what i quite like about it is that the title of it is um easy money uh, which i believe is slightly ironic because one of the points you make quite early on is it's actually not easy to raise money all the time yeah well it's easy money question mark <laughs> for that reason and then it's called uh, and the subtitle the definitive uk guide to funding music projects so it's it's not just covering the release of music, but anything, you know, starting up a promotions business, funding a tour, all the different things that you want to do. Funding any kind of music startup is the is the subject. And it's got sort of and six main funding options that you that you cover: grants, friends and family, crowdfunding, sponsorship, commercial lending. And what I thought was really interesting for me was the fact that very early on you point out because I think if you're if you're a recording artist you think how am I going to make an, an album or again I'm, I'm talking perhaps in old world when I was a, a, a fledging recording artist and you know I would think well I'd need a record company to to you know raise the money to to pay for the recording to pay for maybe any videos photo shoots press you know radio whatever and you talk about the fact that a lot of the funding was from sort of other music companies it was sort of internalized in that way and we did start to see a bit of a change and in some ways i guess the sort of silicon valley style you know uh, opportunities started to you know sort of filter into uh into the into the music industry at large i mean you know talk us through some of that yeah exactly i mean i, I talk about it being a kind of internal funding mechanism where artists would go to labels for advances and then independent label certainly would go to distributors for advances and it would take a very long time to get paid on the other side so you really really needed those advances to fund upfront recording costs and of course recording costs were higher because we didn't have all the digital means that we do now so it was a a high investment upfront industry and it was just starting to change when I came into it and um, yeah, we, the music industry, the part of the music industry that I was in was commercially successful and 
people were able to run businesses, even with a lot of trial and error and, you know, perhaps not being very business minded. Uh, when they started them, they were able to make money out of them. So I think at that time, there wasn't the same call on grant funding and uh, and kind of that other type of external funding. And obviously, or maybe not obviously, also it was possible um, pre-2008, if you had a profit-making record label to go to your bank and get an overdraft or a loan. And in 2008, all of that tightened up with the credit crunch and it was very, very difficult, even for businesses that had a really good track record of borrowing and paying money back and had expertise in the industry and had been going for a number of years and had steady cash flow to, to access any kind of advanced money. And that was a real a real difficult time for anybody looking to invest in new music independently. Um, and that's, you know, that's what the um, campaigning work was all about. Uh, you know, working with, um, working with Brian Message on that, he was uh, very passionate about that. Alison Wenham and and Fergal Sharkey at UK Music and all of the team were really keen to impress on on the government that uh, you know we need money into the industry. We need to support developing new artists, and that developing new artists is absolutely key to UK uh, exports of music around the world. Um, and so that was the argument that we were making at the time to the DCMS. Uh, that we were making to the treasury and in fact that other creative industries are making as well and I felt that and I think we all felt that we were really being uh, passed from pillar to post as it were um, and not getting the answers that we needed um, and for example I remember a meeting at uh I remember a meeting at the, the Treasury where they were saying, well, why don't these companies just go and get private investment? Because it sounds quite risky, you know, recording and touring and music industry and things like that. Maybe banks are averse to that risk and maybe they can go to investors. And the question that I was asking myself was, which investors, where, who, who are these people that want to invest in in recording, you know, 10 years down the line after, you know, post Napster and post uh, file sharing and, you know, want to invest in the, in the future of the music industry. Well, it's, it was easy. You just have hit records, Remy. That, that's uh, right. Yeah. I mean, well, no, I mean, absolutely. <laughs> you, you you know, but it, it, it takes some investment to get there, doesn't it? And, of course uh, it does. yeah. you know, well, and, and- and of course, you know, the, the traditional industry, which is the bit that we were talking about before and how money sort of came about. I mean, you know, the major record companies, of course, have always been able to reinvest because they've had large catalogues that have supported the the sort of the, the risk or mitigated that risk factor on, on, on new artists. But if you're beginning from scratch, as you say, like it takes a bit to get there. Mm. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And also, you know, you mentioned you mentioned major labels. That's obviously something that was a huge issue for the AIM labels that they were trying to do global business from a very small base and make partnerships globally. They didn't have offices in every country around the world. They had to build those partnerships and networks piecemeal. And um, for them, they 
didn't have the huge catalogs. A few of them did, but they didn't have the huge catalogs to kind of fall back on um, that would support them in those lean times. And I would also say it was probably a time when the music industry didn't have the greatest public reputation within the investment community. Both know Eamon Ford and uh, his fantastic book about EMI and a former guest uh, on this show, I might add. Yes, uh, Um, so his his book, which I've which I've got a copy of here, actually signed copy. Um, Oh, you got your sign! I I just bought mine from Amazon. I'm clearly not that well connected. Um, <laughs> his, yeah, I mean, his, and another former person that worked at AIM actually before your time. I did. I remember because yeah. Eamon and I worked together afterwards at Fruct. Uh, the, the okay. Yeah. 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 Yeah, yeah. yeah. So he, you know, his, his book talking about EMI, obviously that had been all over the financial pages about buyout of EMI by uh, private capital and what had, what had gone wrong there. So, you know, I don't think there was a queue of people wanting to invest, certainly in recorded music at that time, maybe in live music, but not in recorded music. And so what I was really interested in coming back to the ethos of AIM, which is about collectivity and finding collective solutions to things, I was interested in doing the work that the civil servants were almost suggesting that the small label owner or manager or artist should do which is to go around and find out where is the money and how do how do I get it? So where is the money and how, how do I get it? That was the question that the book asked. And I set about trying to talk to people in all of those different areas of funding to find out who they were funding, what percentage of people that were coming through the door were getting money, how much money were they getting, uh, what were the criteria that they were looking at, and maybe to interview some people that had successfully gotten money from these different sources and find out more about the process behind it so that I could present that to the what I imagined in my mind to be the time-pressed manager or indie label boss who could just, you know, in, in a couple of hours read that information and get the answers that they needed and decide on a strategy for for funding uh, their music project so that's the idea behind the book is to sort of cut out the legwork for as many people as possible well and it absolutely does that uh, in a very accessible way and uh, it's just uh, i'm just curious so you where was how did you publish it first of all how did you go about that so i i think i had been self-employed for about six months at that point and had this idea and then talked to a few people about the idea. And I had heard that Music Tank, which was uh, a group set up by University of Westminster, were looking to maybe publish a report on something like that. They'd published right. a series of reports into the music industry in the past. Uh, one written by Tony Wadsworth that was very good about the uh, record industry and uh, some, another report into digital. So they'd published a kind of series of papers um, and reports at that time. And I approached them with my ideas on this topic. And they said, yes, we were looking at at uh, printing something on this and your ideas sound great. Let's work together. And so they edited and uh, published and retailed the, the original book in 2013-14. They uh, were a fantastic bunch to work with. I'm still uh, in touch with them now. So, Oh, great. That's really nice. Um, and uh, so we've got another, we, we've, you've, you've done a few updates to it and, and it's coming out again in, on the 15th of February? 
Yeah, that's right. Well, it's um, something that's never gone away, really. After I published the book with Music Tank, they organised a conference on music funding. And then I started to get invited around the country to talk about music funding. And from there has grown my business that I run now, doing training and coaching and talking to creatives about all aspects of business. Yeah. And um, Music Tank carried on for a number of years, making the book available. And then they closed down a couple of years ago. And I started to get requests for the book, oh, um, right. which, wow. which, I, which I didn't have the rights for at that time. So after the rights reverted to me um, of, the, of the licensing deal that I had with them, I thought I had better make it available again. So it really is the, the original 2013 book. And some things have gone out of date slightly. Sure. So I have kind of highlighted those in the book um, with details about what's changed. Yeah since then um so the names of certain funds and and funding schemes and things like that but the core of it is really about the relationship between funders and the people that receive the funding yeah why do people give you money you know why does an investor invest in you and what do they expect in return why is that grant funder wanting to give you money what what are they doing it for and what can you learn about the process from that what can you learn about what's the right area of funding to invest your time in raising from that are you a fast-growing startup who's going to you know quadruple your turnover in, in two years or are you a an artist looking to make high concept art that needs a public subsidy understanding that i think really helps people to kind of grasp what what they're doing there in that funding yeah. space um, yeah. and what direction they need to go in and it was great to see you tackle that very early on in the book so i i agree with you i think that's a really important you know part of it i mean i i do some m a stuff and one of the big questions is it's not just about the money itself as in the you know the movement of the cash from one person's bank account to the others it's like why you know what what is Maybe there's a strategic reason why they might be investing because they have perhaps other business properties that that, that can benefit from what you're doing, and so it, that that sort of contextual stuff is 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 incredibly important. So I'm really really pleased to you know see sort of point that out so early. I'm curious. So obviously you, you wrote that a little while ago. The industry's moved on a bit, and these days I, I feel like every time I tune into something like Music Business Worldwide or, or uh, Music Ally or whatever it might be, CMU. Um, you know, I feel like there's another story about a massive amount of money that has been moved from one person's bank account to another, be it, be it the hypnosis, you know, sort of antics or, you know, whatever it might be. There just seems to now be this kind of lots of money being moved around, mm. both from sort of within the industry and then from without. How, how do you feel about how it's sort of gone from, from when you first started looking at this area? How do I feel about um, music funding? Is is there more money available? You know, is it is it easier to sort of access funds? You know, is it something that people are a bit more open to talk about? You know, uh, yeah. I mean, the, the situation has certainly picked up from two thousand and ten, um, and money right, has started right. to you know has started to flow around uh, the world and the industry again. I think one of the big changes has been you know more and more and more take up of digital services and the increase in festivals and live especially festivals 
so those things have have you know helped to progress the industry but i mean as we know at the moment with the covid crisis there's uh, a lot of turmoil at the moment as to what's going to happen throughout the live industry from grassroots sector up to up to the major festivals and a number of questions starting to be asked about the compensation from streaming services as well so that story isn't over in terms of the financial aspects of of the industry but certainly after the credit crunch kind of period started to die away you know money did start to to flow again but it is a totally changed industry from from what it was in uh, you know 20 years ago when i came into it completely changed I feel like there's more innovation, and I think that that's, that has, has pr- probably attracted more outside money coming in, you know, and technology, of course, has played a big role in that, whether it's music creation itself, like the, the nuts and bolts of, you know, putting the music together, or the, the sort of the output stuff, you know, maybe, you know, like the, the video creation platform that, that is the sponsor of this podcast, Rota, um, you know, or uh, all the DSPs and their sort of the innovation that we're, we're seeing there. Um, yeah, you know. ab- absolutely. And I think on the on the uh, sponsorship side, so the brand partnership side with the rise of the Instagram influencer and, and the YouTuber as, uh, you know, profitable career options, that that has completely changed as well. And also the the grant funding picture so in response to the credit crunch and the problems of uh you know 10 years ago funders have really risen to the challenge and started to create new funds so some of the things that were just newly created funds at the time the original book was published so the momentum program um that's run by PRS Foundation Arts Council um also the music export growth scheme both of those just sneaked into the book as new schemes that had started up um, at the time. And they've been really important and have delivered a lot of funding um, in. And also things like the change of uh, the Musicians Benevolent Fund to help Musicians UK and them coming onto the scene with a, a creative grant fund programme. All of that has has helped make grant funding a kind of much more significant part of early stage development for for artists, which is a really good thing. And actually, I'm just just curious. I mean, it was a, a big part of last year, 2020. Um, you know, with with COVID. Um, you know, I mean, we, you know, we saw trade bodies in particular suddenly become front and centre in people's minds because who else was going to you know help organise any any government funding that that might be made available? And of course, you know, the music industry has a huge not problem but a problem in in this context of many people are self employed and they kind of fell a little bit off the radar. Um, you know, especially in the in the live industry, which of course was hardest hardest hit. Mm. Is that fair? I'm not sure. I think so. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, um, definitely. And uh, you know, uh, you know, and with the sort of the introduction, I guess, of it being okay to have a, a job where you know you just do a bit here and get paid for that, and then do another bit over there and get paid for that, and uh, you know, and it was it was a bit of a scramble, and you know, without the the various you know trade bodies that you know cover the different sections of, of the music industry, trying to sort of put that together. I mean, I, you know, my Twitter feed was full of you know praise and thank yous to to you know thanks I was able to pay my rent this month type of thing. Yeah, I mean it's 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 um <clears throat> it's a precarious it's a precarious business um and there has been a a huge and fantastic response by 
Musicians Union and uh, Help Musicians and Arts Council and AIM and all of the organisations involved supporting the whole community. But, you know, at some point people need to be able to get out and and work again. I mean, you know, there's all these fantastically skilled people who have really valuable skills in especially in in live um and also what i'm seeing through through young guns network so um i run a social enterprise called yeah, young guns network we, we, i feel like we didn't quite finish your whole career part so i apologize so let, let's talk very quickly about that because that was uh, that was part of your your journey uh okay backtracking a bit so i um in 2010 i had sort of done as i'd gone as far as i could at aim Again, I was kind of getting a bit restless and asked if I could go on a secondment, find a secondment for myself somewhere in the in the industry just to get a bit more experience. And I ended up getting a short secondment at UK Music, who then offered me a job as uh, director of operations there. So I said goodbye to, to AIM and went over to work at UK Music for a couple of years. And the, I think the main things that I worked on were the campaigning to do with access to finance for, for the industry and talking to politicians about uh, about our industry. And then also a project uh, which I'm really proud of, which was uh, launching an equality and diversity charter, which was worked on by people across the industry and kind of pulling together the first, the first conversation, I would say, across all the trade bodies about um, equality and diversity and getting that actually on the agenda of every single organization which is the first you know the first time that had been done i think the music industry is a bit late to the late to the game on that well as i think was really sort of surfaced over you know at least the couple last couple of years you know with the sort of the, you know the, the gender imbalance and you know on the pay scale and you know all the rest of it i mean it's been i think it's been a bit of a wake-up call for for an industry that um, you know things like nepotism, Remy. You know have uh, have not helped, but at the same time, it is kind of how it is, right? Yeah, I mean, I would say that I would say that eight years ago, when that launched, which was in twenty twelve, um, I would say at least fifty percent of the people that I talked to, probably more, thought that there was no problem. Yeah, and yeah. didn't you know didn't really want to have the conversation and that that was eight years ago so um you know probably the first time they had to think about it because but it hadn't been challenged really before i don't think not not in a big way anyway it had been challenged on an individual level but not on a systematic level it had been individual people saying you know this is an issue this is a problem um you know this has been my experience but it there wasn't a kind of industry-wide conversation about it you know prior to that prior to that that group of people doing that work and getting it on the agenda really so um yeah that was that was a kind of another major major project there but as i was leaving there i had a chat with sam potts who uh had been my intern at aim everything all roads lead back to aim but he was he was a, a uni student and uh came down and did some volunteering at aim and uh ended up being the uh the head of radio at columbia and he's now i think the vp of promotions at awal um so he's he's moved on since wow. then as well yeah that's a um, good uh, career to, progression yeah to to a great role so he had this idea about setting up a almost like a kind of uh, an event a debate a network for young people in their first 10 years in the industry 
and came to me with that idea and I was like cool yeah okay I'm freelance now I can do what I like so we set we set that up together and um and that has been again just a fantastic thing to to have been involved in for the last for the last few years so that's my other hat is social enterprise person (laughs) yeah very good I mean I I remember going to uh, one Young Guns uh, network event um and one of the first things that happened was somebody went what are you doing here? And I was like, well, I was, you know, just here to support. I was there. Sharon had invited me just to come down and listen, to, you know, whatever it was. I think Spotify were doing a talk or, or something like that. And, uh, and, uh, and then we, but you're not a young gun. And I was like, hang on a minute. How, how yeah. are you then? All, and, and all they, ages and, can come. All No ages then. It's, you know. Oh, there, there was certainly a moment <laughs> of I went, yeah, I'm probably the oldest person in this room. <laughs> Damn it! Uh, yeah, and yeah. Sharon. So Sharon Matheson was um, yeah. w- worked at AIM with me, and then she yeah. went to she worked with you at Ingrooves. That's um, right during the time Many there. Years. Yeah, well, she's she's still there. In fact, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's good. Um, wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. Okay, so um, so I understand that you absolutely now love uh, writing funding applications, which is which is great. You know, so I hate listeners. writing you, funding uh, applications. Do you not come now. to me with your funding applications. <laughs> the thing is that I wrote this book about music funding, which does cover six different types of funding. And the one that people really wanted to know about was grants. How do I get grants? And so I kind of set up a uh, consultancy or an advisory service, I guess, training people in that. How do you do the applications? How, you know, how do you um, write the grant applications, giving people help with with their applications and giving them a steer in the right direction and things. You know, to write a grant application for somebody else is a particular um, talent. You really have to get inside their head. It's like being a ghostwriter. You really have to be able to get to know them and, and, and kind of write in their voice, um, as it were. So that is, that is something I can uh, only do for people I know really, really well. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you, but, but you do do other things for, for other people. Um, and, yeah. and the coach and the coaching is a big part of it. Yeah, talk, talk us through some of the, the more, more up to date stuff that you're doing. As a- um, yeah, I mean, really based on, based on the, um, experience of being at AIM and supporting a lot of small businesses and independent creatives and artists and things has led me into this, um, this world of being, what I started out being really was a business advisor. Uh, so I had done, I'd had my experience at AIM, I'd worked at UK Music and I'd done an MBA during that time and and really thought about what kind of support did creative businesses need and how did they see themselves as, as artists and businesses. Um, and so I went to work um, as a business advisor for an organization called Creative United and worked then with and trained people in writing business plans, um, learning about how to understand the financial side of being an artist or being running a creative business, giving one-to-one advice to people and um, working really interestingly with people from visual arts and theater and uh, media production and all sorts of other creative industries well, so that, what, that, that, that's interesting because of course it's quite easy to get a little bit sort of stuck in one sort of particular mode i mean you know yeah. aim was the the representative of record you know re- recorded music companies right. and, and members so the fact that you've managed to sort of like take your experience and give that into other related parts of the industry is great yeah it's been it's been so interesting seeing actually that there are a huge amount of connections between 
people in the in the art world and the music world and the you know the novel writers and the makers and the you know the fashion brands and things like that and uh, having having done the business studies and had a real interest in you know just business systems lean startup you know understanding the kind of financial and economic side of of things what I really like to do is try and then translate that into language that makes sense for somebody that's running a more creative business or somebody that's an artist. So there's there's a huge amount of business um, information and knowledge out there, but a lot of it is is written and presented in a way that makes absolutely no sense for a creative person. So if you just Google business plans, for example you'll find something that is so complicated that you, you know, you can't, you don't even know where to start as somebody running a, you know, a new startup, small scale business or as an artist or something. So it doesn't mean that there's anything wrong with your business because it doesn't fit into this template for uh, a more conventional industry. What it means is that things need translating. And so in my work now with the coaching and with the, and with the business advising and with the training, it's trying to bring together the nitty gritty kind of business stuff in a really palatable, understandable way so that people can actually use the tools uh, that have been developed within the creative sector, if that makes sense. Yeah, um, it does, yeah. And I don't know about, about you, you know, being, uh, being self-employed and working for different businesses, but for me, I find that, that as well as the technical side, of knowing what to do there's also usually a personal side and a, and a kind of um mindset side to being uh your own boss being in creative industries putting out creative work running a small business you know what you achieve is partly the tools and the knowledge that you have but it's partly your mindset and so this is where the coaching comes in is to have not only the information presented to you, but also the the sort of support behind the scenes in being able to take that and run with it and put it into action. Yeah, no, it's uh, it's a it's a it's the sort of thing that you, is never taught at school. You know, you kind of, or at least when you and I were at school, um, you know, you'd learn about economics, but you wouldn't necessarily learn about how that how that might be as, a, as somebody embarking on a particular career where economics would be you know part of you know, part of what your day to day. Yeah. I mean, and I loved, I, I loved doing those studies and I loved learning how to read, you know, how to read financial statements, for example. But the examples that we looked at in class were Tesco's. Cans of big beans. Yeah. <laughs> Microsoft or something like that. And the right, examples right, that right, I bring right. into the sessions that I do will be Glastonbury Festival. Let's look at their accounts. Let's pick out why they have 10 million pounds yeah. in the bank. Well, it's because in case something happens like happened last year, you know, so when I bring those examples into the into the training, um, people people get it for the first time often, and people that have, you know, these are often people who have been running a business for ten years. Mm-hmm. You know, they could be a young person, but they could be somebody who's in their sixties that's that's left their job and they've come into um, doing their creative business, and they have a, a you know vast amount of technical skill in their creative industry but not necessarily the the business experience so 
there's a complete kind of range of people which i really like so it does take me back to those days at aim just you know just 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 chatting to people and kind of having that rapport with people and being able to get them to open up to the things that they feel a little bit less comfortable about and a bit uncertain about and seeing them kind of transform is just so satisfying brilliant thank you for that um so uh so you're 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 solo at the moment and uh what what have you got coming up what's what's on the agenda um well got the the re republication of the uh easy money book coming out uh and that's going to be available from the 14th 15th of february onwards and and available on amazon and that sort yeah. of thing um, yeah. yeah available on my website available on amazon and yeah. apple and uh all good all good bookshops as a paperback Ooh. um oh. so oh right okay so you are, yeah. so it's more than just a digital version you actually yeah. okay fantastic yes yeah. so well, that'll be you. the first time that's been available in those on those platforms and kind of in those formats i'm hoping yeah. that it will just make it accessible to people i got a dm on instagram from somebody literally the last last week saying oh i've heard about this book that you've written a book on music funding is where can i get it from and i was like just just wait just it's just coming <laughs> I've, nearly, <laughs> I've nearly finished so that's been interesting kind of learning about the digital publishing and the, and the kind of uh, self-publishing side of things um and then i'm working on a a, a couple of programs at the moment uh, a leadership program for women in the music industry fantastic which is um running at the moment with an organization called brighter sound and you've um, done some stuff with Brighter Sound before. Yeah, we did a series of events this summer which were helping people in the music industry to respond to the changing times we find ourselves in with the pandemic. Um, so we did a series looking at changes that were taking place in the media industry, um, looking at mindset and intuition, looking at um, the practical help you talked about the grants and the, the you know the financial support that's come through this year um and then looking at how do we how do we move forward and how have people in the past in the industry in difficult times moved forward from those from those challenges um so that's the, this is the second kind of piece of piece of work that i've done with them and you know working working more and more digitally and on zoom uh, as we as we all are at the moment yeah. has yes. <laughs> has brought some really exciting opportunities actually to work with people from across quite a wide geographical area who normally would have to use up an awful lot of their time to be able to come together um and and work together in a program like that yeah. um to be able to involve them you know at a much lower cost in terms of the travel and the accommodation and the all, all of that kind of thing has been really exciting so i'm looking forward to being being able to get face to face with people again but also you know enjoying easily being able to kind of provide that kind of support to people so it's a kind of coaching and uh, training program that i'm running with another coach uh, from the music industry tamara gallon mm-hmm. And we're working together on that, and it's absolutely fantastic. Really enjoying that at the moment. Wonderful. I'll uh, I'll put links to to your website to, to Brighter Sounds uh, in the show notes, so uh, listeners do go and check. Yeah, check out these things. great. And I mean, if you've got any listeners who are, uh, you know, let's say uh, under thirty, which you mentioned that you do have quite a few <laughs> listeners who are in the early stages of their, their careers. Um, yes, and, and and many that are older. I'm not ageist. Yeah. <laughs> well, okay. For, for, for anybody that would like to, but particularly um, yes. the under 30s, um, we have 
uh, done a lot with Young Guns Network this year to sort of enhance what we're offering. Um, so we're about to start running a project with AWOL uh, where we're going to be um, having five people that are paid to work remotely and run an artist marketing campaign that is uh, funded by a charity called Youth Music. Yep. And we also have a Facebook group, which has uh, grown and grown this last year and a series of events that we're doing over the next few months as well, which are completely free. So yeah, we really would love anybody that wants to be part of that community to just come and join in. It's free. Um, and we're there to bring that age group of people together. And again, we've been able to sort of bring in people from, uh, the people from Argentina, Sweden, the U S on our, uh, session that we had this week. So it's, it's great actually to see that that's, there has been some good has come out of it. Although I do yeah. miss our old, our old events and we've done about 50 or 60 events, uh, over the last few years. And uh, yeah. I do miss them being in an actual venue <laughs> where you could chat to people. Oh, I know. It's, I mean, it isn't the same, but as you say that the, what's come out of it is that there are other opportunities. You can, you know, connect to a wider base because for probably for the first time, or certainly in my lifetime and yours, everybody's on the same footing, you know, everybody's in the same boat, so to speak. And, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's, I think it's quite uniting in that sense, as much as you know there is a distance between us all physically. Well, thank you very much for that. Uh, any any closing thoughts, anything like that you want to add? A closing thoughts. Um, I'm just I'm just very happy to be on a podcast, Ria. I, I love. Oh goodness! I, <laughs> I, I goodness! Love, <laughs> I no. I I think um, closing thoughts. I guess my I guess my closing thoughts are that going back to what you were asking in the beginning about getting into the industry and things like that is that been just an amazing journey for the last 20 years with just so many unexpected totally left field twists and turns I definitely didn't expect to be an author um I didn't expect to be on a podcast I didn't expect to be a personal brand um I didn't expect to be you know getting a, a awards for doing a job I love so it's been an incredible journey and it's I mean it's really great to have to be involved in um, something like Young Guns Network to sort of give something back. It can be an incredibly rewarding industry to be involved with, that's for certain. Yes, yeah. I, I, I certainly feel very, very fortunate to have made it my career as well. Very good. Yeah. Okay, well, um, to my listeners, thank you for listening. Uh, stay in touch with the show via my socials at Alex Branson on both Twitter and Instagram. And also a shout out to the incredible audio assassins who have provided the music branding for the show. Link in the show notes. Remy, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Us. Thanks, Bye -bye. Alex. Thanks Bye. for having me on.